0: Hello, folks. Hello, everyone. I'm Ucha and welcome to the 30th episode of the Startup Lender podcast. We're back from a little pause and our guest today is Marguerite from France. She's an artist and NFT creator with an extensive background in working with international startups worldwide. She has been a venture capitalist, helping startups to grow and scale in VC firms such as eVentures and Cherry Ventures. In this episode, we talked about her international student life in London, Startup journey, NFT art space, and everyday life. So let's get into it. Welcome everybody to the Startup Blender, the podcast about startup life and some other stuff. Good morning everybody, welcome to the episode An artist and NFT creator Marguerite is talking here with us from Paris, it's really nice to see you here, so tell us about you, who are you, what you do?
1: Cool, um, I mean you want the short version or the long version? <laughs>
0: uh, let's start with short version and then we can expand. <laughs>
1: no, a short version. Um, I'm French and I'm usually based in Paris. Um, I've been traveling now for five months in Africa, um, mostly Madagascar, uh, South Africa, and then Namibia before coming back here four days ago. Um, And I used to be in the tech industry for seven years, and uh, recently in December 2021. I decided to become a try and become a full-time photographer. Um, and as part of this new profession, I'm also an NFT creator. Um, and so that's what I'm here to talk about today, I guess.:
0: That's so great. But you mentioned that past five months you spent in Africa.
1: Yes, exactly. What was it? So oh. yeah
0: yeah, how was it? Uh, I mean it's
1: amazing like um, I'm basically uh, I focus um, on travel photography and nature and um, so obviously places like Africa are kind of like simply unbelievable pretty unique light and um, pretty unique scenes um, and Cape Town specifically where I spent two months and um, it's an amazing mix of being able to do remote work with good internet and progress on your kind of more day-to-day project. So I'm redoing my website, defining my visual identity, working on an exhibition. And so I could do that on a day-to-day basis while um, focusing the early hours of my day and um, the latest hours of my day on taking hopefully some good shots.
0: That's nice. But that being said, uh, how does your everyday life as a photographer look like?
1: It's very, very different from the VC life, I would say. So prior to, uh, I mentioned that I was in tech for seven years. And so just uh, prior to becoming a photographer, I was a venture capital investor, where your days are basically packed with meetings, a lot of Zoom calls. I'm sure you are quite familiar with this and that also the younger generations, I mean, I'm 30 years old, but our generation, the youngest generations are more and more used to interacting with people online and also having kind of no buffer in between meetings. So you have a meeting that ends at 11.30, the next one has already started 30 seconds ago. Um, It's a very, very fast-paced environment, um, meeting a lot of fascinating people, uh, having the ability to change uh, from one topic to the other within a, a few minutes and really dive into the details of that specific topic whereas being a day-to-day photographer is obviously very, very different and the transition is actually, yeah, requires a bit of a work and patience. Uh, it's not, you don't have that kind of correlation between all the input that you put in um, having a direct correlation with the output. It takes time, you need inspiration, you need to be in the right state of mind, you need to have mind space and that requires also to put your foot Of the accelerator sometimes um, and dedicate some time to contemplation. For me, contemplation uh, lies really at the heart of my work Um, and obviously I'm a big believer of sentiments and um, emotions being uh, illustrated in the photographs that a photographer takes and therefore if you Stay in the mindset of a VC, which is kind of more linked to productivity, um, having a lot of time pressure, making sure that you make the best use of every second you've got. When you um, move into the artistic approach, you kind of need to change that mindset. And I have to admit that in the first few weeks, I underestimated um, the efforts that it requires um and yeah it's it's definitely a different rhythm and uh, a different approach uh it's also about learning how to let go uh let things come to you as well and stimulate your inspiration through different means um that tend to be quite different from um a day-to-day job as a vc
0: wow that's very interesting so you are right now you are in full-on transition mode from being a vc person that is concentrate on so many numbers and the uh, results and talking to people and things like that, to full on emotional art and uh, exactly. know, photography and those. that is- Exactly, really and you awesome. need to
1: think about, yeah, sorry.
0: Yeah, no, it's just saying that it's really
1: awesome. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, and you need to think about like the kind of message you wanna portray in your photos, what is the overarching project and, so you can, the only comparables would be, you know, right now I'm redoing my website and visual identity as I was saying, in the way I would manage those projects then it would be similar to a business job but for everything else, yeah, it, you need to have the mind space.
0: Great, nice, yeah, I absolutely agree. But uh, now let's go back to where it all started, you know, uh, before you even get into got into the VC or startup world. Uh, yeah I know that you were an international student in London so tell us about that yes. how was international student life there
1: yes um yeah basically I grew up in France and I was always in the same time as private school um quite conservative school with a lot of people like me everyone was you know it's very homogeneous. and I think um at 17 when I was to decide what was next I think I just needed a bit of a fresh air, and so I decided to move to London, ended up spending nine years there in the end. Um, I initially moved and signed for three years in London, so I was at King's College London, and it was a four-year program in international relations, where I would spend three years in London and one year in Madrid, and at the end of the day, I then stayed to do a master's degree at LSE, the London School of Economics, uh, where I studied uh, business, I wanted to do that transition, I started uh, lurking into the tech world and I was like okay I need to get my head into that because I only knew about um international organizations and war studies and think tanks and uh, back then I decided to move away from that because I felt I could have a more meaningful impact through business and so that's when I decided to do my transition and then my first two jobs were in London as a digital transformation consultant and then as an operator uh outside and um yeah, the London student life was really really stimulating um, it was also a challenge financially speaking I mean you are broke all the time I'm sure yeah. um, everyone you speak to in London I mean that's the case even more when you're a student but also when you're <laughs> 40 years old I guess um, whatever the, the age group London is brutal when it comes to living costs and that's applied to absolutely everything transport rents obviously food uh at least you get the student discounts um when you're a student but it's very very stimulating i mean i didn't i couldn't speak a word of english and so that was a very very good way to learn fast by being on the ground being surrounded only with uh, english speaking people having only classes in english um making friends with people that were patient enough to help me understand uh, the necessary vocabulary and um, sharing the notes so that I could um, familiarize myself with the accent as well and, and um, yeah the way of writing. Um, but it was very stimulating. I mean, it was the first time I was uh, surrounded with so many different nationalities, people with very, very different backgrounds. And um, also, in, I think in, in the UK, you have a way of expressing yourself, which is very free and from a very young age, you are pushed into um, sharing and phrasing your positions. Um, may they be political positions or artistic views very early on. And so I felt I was surrounded with a lot of very mature people that were putting a lot of efforts into, um, engaging themselves into political causes that were close to their heart, um, but also into forming tangible opinions and making sure that they were backed with the right um, arguments. And that was very new to me because I think in France, it's more about, you know, you are put in a, in a box and um, you don't ever have to justify yourself for being in that box. You are just judged as such, and you are in that box, and you are not so much pushed into think like developing your own thinking and your own positions. Um, whereas the British education system really pushes you towards that and the environment that London offers, maybe on a cultural, on the cultural fronts, with a lot of exhibitions that are very accessible to students, lots of conferences, talks that are happening within the university, or um, with organizations that have partnership with the universities, also with the different student unions and associations that were developed. It really, really incentivizes you to, yeah, develop your own thinking and be proud of it and challenge it perpetually as well. Like in the the British studies, you have a lot of reading. Um, So the first thing you have, you have very few classes, but an extensive reading list, which is so huge. And it's really making sure that you gather as many arguments as you can and challenge them and then develop your own view on the topic. And I thought that was very, very uh, refreshing and that armed me very well for the early years of my professional career.
0: True, yeah, I would agree. Actually being an international student uh, is like a, such a big challenge, you know, uh, because you're going yeah. to total a new environment. And the yeah. thing you mentioned, too, it's incredible that uh, you were not speaking French and you tried to make international friends so you could uh, improve your language and everything.
1: Yeah.
0: So I think. It takes that, uh, time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I've talked to a lot of uh, people that have uh, kind of experienced the same. And me, myself, too. I've been an international student uh, in Estonia and uh i remember somebody saying uh, being an international student is the most entrepreneurial thing that you can do and i agree 100 to that because i mean yeah
1: i would i would agree with that as well
0: great but uh speaking of that how did you how did you start your startup journey
1: um so basically i started with an internship at google um it was only four months but it was quite Yeah, I was like, okay, if I'm interested in the tech industry, I need to learn what it's like to work for tech giants, what are their priorities, etc. So it was very good insight into it. And I was lucky enough to be in a team, which was um, doing case studies on startups and how um, using digital helped them uh, develop their business. Um, So that was very good. And then I became a consultant. Uh, So basically I was advising the... CEOs and executives of large corporates like L'Oreal or Unilever um, on their digital transformation strategies. So it was really about educating them on the new trends that were um, basically radically changing their industries. Um, It was about trying to understand what new organizations could be uh, created within the group so that they could innovate better and be more agile. Um, and also looking at MA or incubator slash accelerator initiatives for which we, you would call open innovation uh, for those corporates to basically be able to innovate better and also, you know, take what they could take from startups uh, in terms of technologies that the group wouldn't be able to develop themselves. Um, so that was pretty amazing because it was a lot of like short term project of several months uh, but never longer than six months. Uh, touching on a lot of different topics so you know once we worked for Fannie Mae which is a huge uh, financial institution in the US so that would be a lot about fintech and blockchain Um, but then you could also work for L'Oreal and focus on beauty tech so it allowed me to touch on a lot of different topics and understand on a high level um, the different dynamics between corporates and startups uh, and how that shapes innovation and technology. And then I um, decided to change that strategic hat and get uh, more operational because when you speak to tens of startups a week, um, it's yeah. amazing because you really get a lot of the insights but then it's yeah. very theoretical and spending a few months with a startup side really allowed me to understand, okay, what it actually means to be a seed startup that goes through to series B stage what is fast growth, uh, how the team organized, how they work together, um, even like basic stuff, like, you know, replying to the customer support really allowed us, allowed me at least to understand the bottlenecks of uh, the company. And yeah, so I, and, and I felt more legitimate as well, um, going operational for a few months because then you kind of understand what it's like. It's not just theory and words from the founders that you just, Reproduce. And um, yeah, and then I ended up in VC. And so that's when I moved to Berlin. Um, And I ended up spending three years in Berlin, uh, working first for Headline, which previously was called Eventures, and then for Cherry Ventures, where I focused on early stage investments, so only seed investing in Europe.
0: Nice, yeah. I guess your previous experience uh, as like a consultant and then this couple of months in the startup uh, really helped you to understand the insights uh, of the startup world and what, what's the mindset of the founder and then that experience helped you to become an investor, right?
1: Yeah, I guess what it really was helpful is when I was a consultant, understanding also point of view of the corporates was super interesting because also as a startup you know even when you're an investor and look at different startup opportunities it's important to understand the business dev opportunities you know who is that if that startup sells to if it's a B2B company that sells to large accounts it's super interesting to have worked with uh, corporates because you really understand how their sales process works but also you've been on the other side of helping the corporate and implementing the solutions. So you do you you do have an insight which is really, really interesting for the uh, businesses that you will be looking at. Um, and understanding the dynamics also is important because that allows you to understand also MA opportunities and um, potential exit, I mean exit potential. Um, and you know that allows you also to see, okay, this is. Kind of a company that could be bought for a hundred million by this kind of corporate but at the end of the day when you're a VC that's not the outcome that you want you either want a corporate to be able to I mean an incumbent to be able to uh, buy them for one billion plus or you want that company to down the line go public um, so having this kind of like strategic insight onto how the corporate evolve in that world and how startups become big in that world as well was super super helpful um so yeah, I having seen the corporate and then operational side was definitely uh, an asset when going into the investor role.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds very interesting. Uh, but what were the challenges for you to be a venture capitalist in those cherry ventures, for example?
1: And there are many. <laughs> I guess the first challenge is time management and prioritization. Um, and that goes with also the opportunities that you look at. Um, I mean, they are now actually the market is expanding a lot and you have more and more VC funds um, emerging in Europe. Um, but you still have only a handful that have, like the reason why I joined Sherry as well was because of their operational experience and kind of like, in my opinion, the unique positioning that they offer on the VC market. And so you do receive a lot of inbound, uh, a lot of recommendations of businesses you need to look at. Um, And we are a lot of, like, we are a very small team. Um, And so your days are really packed with speaking to a lot of different, brilliant and um, aspiring founders, Um, but understanding at which point you need to kind of like cut off from all those needs. And for instance, if you speak to, a company and you're really bullish on it you need to be able to really prioritize and just go full on on it and the market is moving so fast today so that you need to be able to form a very solid uh, analysis on that business within a couple of days maybe sometimes hours depending on how competitive the deal is and just go full on also to be able to win that deal Um, and you also need to do that while not dropping so many balls on the side uh, as to all the other opportunities you've been looking at and um, the other projects that you're developing that are not only on deal sourcing and deal execution Um, so yeah I guess time management and um, prioritization is really a core part of the job and also like staying excited um, over the years uh, is really really important like keeping that excitement for all the amazing projects that are being developed. Um, it's crucial to make good assessments and see also the outlier. Uh, and sometimes when you like given the volume that um, th- that we are dealing with, um, sometimes after a few years, it can be a bit challenging to keep that excitement. And it's very, very important to nurture it. And if you feel you're losing it, you need to act accordingly to make sure that Um, you don't lose this because it's the essence of the job.
0: Interesting. All right. And what was kind of the, in a sense, a workflow for you? Would you uh, reach out to those founders or you would just receive requests?
1: Sure. I mean, um, you have uh, different ways of going about it. I would say that most, not all of them, but uh, majority of the deals that we're doing as a VC, um are generated from um introductions so you we have like a lot of uh now that the portfolio um of cherries uh becoming wider and wider and spread across europe and so uh if the founders and that's usually the case that we work with uh, are happy with us they tend to send other uh, aspiring founders uh, our way and so that's um a very, very, I would say the most efficient way of uh, finding early stage founders and businesses and founding them early on. Um, and then you also have sometimes investors sending you leads, uh, either because they are conflicted with existing portfolio uh, portfolio companies, or because they invest at a later stage and can't do that one, or because they invest uh, smaller tickets and that the round of that specific fundraising is bigger than what they can do, um, so there is this kind of like collaborations, last competition going on in the market with other uh, business angel and VC um, funds, um, and then lastly, uh, it's uh, either out, called Alban So we do our own research, and for instance, if we think that you know <clears throat> um, Femtech is um, Put like a sector with a lot of potential. Then we would map out the femtech space, at uh, least all of the companies that we can find on the space. Reach out to them and um, and try to place that uh, with the most uh, relevant team and uh, ID. Or uh, you can you also have the in-down, which are uh, founders reaching out to us directly, and then we review. There is an inbox um, for. All the the founders that are sending us their pitch deck and then we review all of them and um, engage with the ones that we think have a high potential
0: uh, yeah i guess that world of vc is completely different it's very interesting uh, but now let's touch a little bit on uh, so you mentioned uh, you were born and raised in france you went to london after that Then uh, a couple of years in berlin i'm guessing there were a lot of other places too uh, the digital nomad life, what are the I don't know, benefits or, or why would you encourage anybody to live uh, this kind of life?
1: I think it, it all depends on um, the kind of like policy at work. If the policy at work is remote work and you don't have the ability to go to the office, then it can very quickly become very, very challenging to maintain a rhythm alone at home which is stimulating enough and refreshing enough. And like you can, the, the VC is a is a lonely job. Um, you're most of the time behind your laptop. Um, and initially I had to join that industry because of all the interactions with amazing people you would have, but I'm more of a face-to-face interaction kind of person than a Zoom interaction kind of person. And so if the whole piece is in remote work, um, I, personally I tend to prefer to be in an environment surrounded with nature also because nature does a lot of good to me and so if I'm working like for instance uh, I work for two months on my own in the mountains just because every morning I could go for a walk refresh my head and then go back to my desk and have a very productive time when I do the digital nomad life though you need to have a few uh, requirements that you don't compromise on. Internet needs to be absolutely crystal clear. The moment you have Wi-Fi issues, everything becomes stressful. It's a nightmare for everyone that is interacting with you. It leaves a very bad impression. It also like, it it doesn't send a very good signal. It doesn't doesn't seem that you're taking the job seriously enough to ensure that you have a good connection. So this is really the top priority. And for instance, you know, I worked from South Africa. I would always make sure that we have an extra battery in the house because you have power outage in South Africa that happened for several hours. And If you don't have the battery, then Wi-Fi is off for a few hours and that can happen on a Tuesday at 3 p.m. and that's not okay. Um, The second thing I would make sure to do is really stick to your hours. So don't try and, and put in a a trek at 2 p.m and then come back at 6 p.m and then work from 6 to midnight because I think it's very important to be aligned with everyone's working hours um, and we are in a job that is based a lot on interactions and it's not just like you work on your own like without internet and without speaking to anyone and so there I think it's important to just be very clear on what your routines can be and have a routine and I think the moment you have a routine, then I find it really, really, really inspiring. I mean, in South Africa, you get up, you live with the sun. So the sun gets up at um, five in the in the summer. Um, and so at 6 a.m. you're up and then you can go either for a hike or for a swim and then you're back. Even if you're back at 8 a.m., then it's 7 a.m. Um, European time. And then you can start the day with a clear mind and, and you know, you left your chair. I feel that if I'm doing home office for too long on my own in Paris, then I'm just sitting on my chair behind my laptop and then my eyes are itchy um, if you start doing that for for a few months in a row. Um, so, yeah, I think space is, is good.
0: And it allows yeah. you
1: to think better as well.
0: Yeah, true. No, I, I can absolutely agree on that. No based on my life in the last couple of years. Uh, but uh, what can you tell, like we touched this topic a little bit in the beginning, but uh, so uh, what was the motivation for you to get into NFT space?
1: It was actually quite natural, quite organic. Um, I didn't think I would go there, um, but then, you know, I was in the tech world, so I used Twitter a lot. Um, and then I just saw this NFT vibe picking up on Twitter. And then I was like, actually, now that I'm an artist, I create content, so why not explore that? My approach as an artist is very um, old school in the sense that I do analog photography. So I shoot on films only. I love the development process in the dark room. I love touching the results of your photographs. I think, I think a, yeah, a photo printed is a photo saved because we don't know what's gonna happen you know if you leave your photo on your laptop or on your hard drive you know it's not alive whereas if you print it it's going to be shared people are going to see it, people are going to touch it and it's going to resonate in a whole new way with people um and so i'm a huge fan of the physical impressions and appearance of my work but then i was like okay there's definitely something happening in the nft world and you can also innovate in that space you can also create an nft and allow your collectors to also get a print if they buy it as such. Um, And so it kind of like, yeah, it started with Twitter and then I discovered foundation. I thought um, UX looked really cool. Um, I also discovered Sloika and they were absolutely amazing at educating artists on, okay, what are the rights that you give up when you mint a photo? How can you retain the right that you want to retain? How does it work on, you know, yeah, basically, how does it work and what are the implications for the artist? And I thought Sloïka did a fantastic job at explaining that with their onboarding process and, um, and their platform. And Foundation was very good for discovering the work of other artists and making sure my work could also be discovered by artists and collectors that are not in my network. Um, And then I asked on Twitter, does anyone have an invitation for a foundation? And then I filled in an application for Sloika, and uh, it ended up working for both of them. Um, Yeah, so I gave it a try.
0: That's great, yeah. Yeah, that's how you explore new things in life, right? You give it a try and-
1: Yes, and I actually break things often. Um, you know, it's not like I, I wasn't an expert in NFT when I minted my first NFT and there are a lot of things that could go wrong, but generally speaking, I'm also convinced that you learn much more by just doing it yeah. rather than trying to read everything that's out there on NFT and what it means sure. for artists. Um, and I think the best way to do it was just iterating on different platforms. I even minted uh, on object. Uh, which is on the tezos blockchain which is very different from the ethereum blockchain it has the advantage of being cheap but then it has a very different audience in terms of collectors and that could potentially buy your art and i think this you can only really understand if you give it a go
0: nice yeah and as a result you spent uh, months in africa Uh, let's talk about uh, Let's so talk about South Africa a little bit uh, in terms of what were the things that you loved and hated about living in Cape Town?
1: Oh, that's an easy one. I think the things that I loved were nature. I've, I've never seen nature and light. The light is golden three hours a day and it's so unique. It's it's You really feel that you have a filter in front of your eyes. Everything is glowing and... It's 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 the colors are really shining and they are very pure and very strong at the same time, um, and nature is incredible. I mean, you have Table Mountain in front of you. You have I don't know how many routes that you can take to go on the top of Table Mountain. You have the um, sea, which is um, very raw as well. Um, so that I really enjoyed, and I can't get sick of that. Um, But living in Cape Town is very odd Um, and you need to be very clear on how you want to live that life and what kind of contribution you want to have as a person who spent several months in that city. Um, I find the discrimination still quite present and often quite uh, disturbing. Um, And you have a huge contrast between people living very fortunate lives and um, showing off quite a bit their lifestyle um, and people being incredibly poor and those townships um, being as stuck with, um, I mean, being really close to mansions that have immense security um, fences and um, people to guard their homes. So I think it's good that they, there is this security question because it's also a good reminder that you know the political and economic situation of the country is really unstable and it's very unequal and then it makes you think of how you want to live that life in cape town and how you want to get involved into trying to change that and not be just a tourist that benefits from it and um, and then moves on
0: wow that's very interesting insight actually uh, nice and uh, finally uh, this is the question that we ask to everybody Uh, because our audience is mostly international students who want to get into the startup world Uh, what Mm -hmm. would be your advice as a as an experienced person in the startup world having worked from many different angles of it uh, what would be your advice to everybody who wants to get into this maybe these people have their own initiatives uh, and want to start their startup journey what would be your advice to them
1: reach out to people and um, and talk to with the different people that you feel could help you, inspire you or advise you. Um, I think the huge benefit of this industry is that everyone is very open into hearing your initiatives and trying to help uh, and sharing insight or lessons that might have been helpful for them. And um, so I think, you know, rather than staying on your own and trying to, do the questions and the answer, really reach out to the people that you feel could be helpful to you or that you, you know, people where that have projects that you find really helpful or interesting and interact with them and take those initiatives um, and be very proactive about it. I think that can open a lot of doors uh, and that's always uh, something that is very appreciated in the industry. Nice.
0: Very, very, yeah. Actually, I agree hundred uh, percent. this is how we met, right? <laughs> I reached out to LinkedIn and you were exactly very
1: well. exactly and that's I something. and I think that's really common in the industry and that no one should be afraid of that. And that that can create really a lot of good opportunities.
0: Great. Uh well then thank you very much uh for being part of the podcast. I think it was very Great. interesting. Uh what you shared. Thanks a lot, to, Usha. Uh, very it's, a, it's really insights. an amazing initiative. <laughs> yeah uh really uh valuable insights that you shared with us uh i want to wish you best of luck with your nft uh, explorations thank you and uh yeah thank you all for listening see you next time thanks for listening follow us on your favorite social media and check out the next episode ta